Right, well, this morning, uh, as Amy said, I'm going to be handing over to a video shortly because um, I'll explain why. But we are in the book of Genesis and we're looking at surprising stories of God's kindness to us in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is split into two chunks, the new chunk and the old chunk. Um, the new chunk is all about Jesus and the promises that he's made to us, all that he's achieved for us. Uh, and the old chunk, the Old Testament, is all about God choosing a particular people from a, among all the peoples on the earth and promising that through this family he was going to rescue the world and provide answer to the world's deepest need which is the need and the problem of our separation from God, the issues of conflict, as we've already mentioned. Um, but what we see in the book of Genesis is although, the, although God chooses this man, Abraham, and says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, what we see is that Abraham's family is far from functional, that the promise carriers are far from perfect. They haven't got it all together. God uses imperfect people to bring about his perfect solution. And we've been looking at the various ways that he's worked through their mistakes to bring about the goodness and the fulfillment of his promises and his plan. Today we're looking arguably at one of the most dysfunctional family moments of the Old Testament and of the book of Genesis. We're looking at the story of Jacob. We've been with Jacob for a couple of weeks now. We introduced Jacob as being the twin brother of Esau. We said that Jacob's a fighter and a grappler his whole life. He's wrestled with men, wrestled with God. He wrestled with his brother even before birth in the womb as a twin. He then wrestled with his dad to get his birthright. Uh, he wrestled with his uncle Laban to get what his uncle had promised to him. And we're going to see how Jacob's life um, and his marriage turned out. So Jacob, when he fled his home and ran away from his brother, moved in with his uncle to seek refuge. He fell in love with Rachel, um, his uncle's daughter, so his cousin. And um, he said, I love this woman, I want to marry her. So Laban said, well, you can marry her if you work seven years for me, and then I'll give you this woman as your bride. For Jacob, those seven years were but a day or a few days because of his love for Rachel. And then Laban... And Laban arranges the marriage and you know, the wedding. And Jacob and Rachel are married. Although somewhere along the line, Laban, being the tricksy, trickster uncle that he is, swaps Rachel for Leah, which, is, which was Leah's older sister, the less attractive version, the version that had been left on the shelf, the sister that no one wanted. And in the morning, the Bible says, there was Leah. And Jacob thought, Ouch, and there's my headache from the night before and now married to a woman that I didn't want to be married to. He goes to his uncle and says, this is a problem because you promised me Rachel. And he says, I did promise you Rachel. Um, I tell you what, work another seven years and I'll give you Rachel as well. So after 14 years of working, he gets married to Rachel. He has two wives and therein lies the problem for him. <laughs> what begins or what ensues is conflict between the two women uh, vying for Jacob's affection and vying that they would produce sons to give Jacob and his family an inheritance. And we're going to be reading from that part of the book of Genesis, chapter 29, verse 31, and we'll see what happened with these two women as they fought for Jacob's affection and they fought for the promises of sons and the promises of God through those children. Let's read together. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 
She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he's given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who's withheld from you the, the fruit of the womb? And then she said, Here's my servant, Bilhah. Go into her, that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. And so it goes on. Um, obviously an ancient culture with some ancient customs where apparently this was an okay or an acceptable thing to do. I'm not conceiving, therefore have my servant. And so the competition between the women goes on and I feel, I feel sorry for Jacob just caught in the middle of it all. <laughs> Poor man. It's interesting, we see a lot of the human drama and the family dysfunctions going on through the names of the children that are given that mean different things. In the order that they're born, the names mean this. Number one, see a son. Number two, God's heard that I'm hated. Number three, my husband will have to be attached to me now. And number four, I will praise. And number fifth son was called God has judged me. Number six, my wrestlings with God. Then God, good fortune has come. Then happy. And then the next son was called wages. My son after that, now my husband will honor me. There was a daughter born later called Dina. And then the final son, Joseph. God has taken my shame away. These women concoct plans. They hatch an idea to get their husband to love them, to get God to bless them. And we see the dynamic of what's going on through the names that are called. This is not a happy home. The Bible's not saying, therefore, all of our families should look like this. Now, the Bible presents for us the shoulds in the first couple of chapters. God's goodness, the creation of a perfect world, humanity given the commission to manipulate, subdue, steward the earth, and then the fall. And from that point on, the Bible records to us what happened, how the people lived, and almost in stark contrast to the happy harmony that existed before the sin that entered the world, before the separation between man and God that occurred in the brokenness between the human race and God. So the Bible is a set of stories about how broken and fallen men and women in time-bound, culture-bound settings tried to fashion for themselves God's plan and God's goodness in their lives. And what we see in the life of Leah, at least, and in Jacob to some extent, 
It's almost like what you get on, the ep- on episodes of the, the TV show, The Apprentice. I don't know if you, you watch this. So you often have, um, if we put the next slide up, the next picture up, you see these um, young professional men and women appear before Lord Sugar and say, I have a great plan of how I'm going to further your business and why you should invest in me. It's like Leah saying, I've got a great plan. I'm going to give you a son. And then Rachel, I've got a better plan. I'm going to give you my servant. And so it goes on. And often in these examples, if we go to the next one, this is their business plan. It basically says, uh, this is what I've planned. That all of our success is going to go up and to the right and it's going to be great. But life is often more like this one. What I planned and what actually happened. And the good news for us is that God is in the journey. And to help us make sense of this story, how it applies to our lives, particularly with a view to Mother's Day. Um, I took some time out this week and spoke to Rachel, uh, who wrote the book that Amy mentioned. And um, she and I just engaged in conversation over this story. And uh, she's a a very insightful, pastorally very wise woman of God. And I wanted us to spend some time hearing from her, after which we'll respond together. So let's roll this video. Apologies, the sound's a little bit boomy, but uh, I think we can make, make sense of what's going on. It's great to be here this morning with Rachel Wilson. Um, who is an author of this year's Christian Book of the Year Award. It's a little uh, one, isn't it? It's this one, The Life You Never Expected. Uh, she's written with someone else called Andrew, which I think you're married to. Um, but I'm thrilled to be here. We're going to be talking today about motherhood and uh, linking it especially into the story of Jacob, Leah and Rachel in the book of Genesis that we've been talking about as a church. So Rachel, thanks for chatting to us this morning. Um, first question I wanted just to get your thoughts on is to do with Jacob. Uh, see, Jacob, as we've looked at already in the book of Genesis, uh, has comes from a dysfunctional family. He's quite a, a messy individual himself. There's a lot that's wrong with him. And yet he's someone that carries the promises and blessing of God. And God uses him in a huge way. Obviously, to be the father of the, the tribes that go on to be the nation of Israel through whom Jesus comes. And yet... We often, when we look at ourselves and we see messiness, brokenness, stuff that's not quite in order, we often treat that as being something that disqualifies us yeah. from being used by God. Whereas Je- Jacob's life would teach us differently. So why is it that you think that we, we see something as a disqualification, whereas for God uh, and God's people in the Bible, it's less of an issue? Yeah, I, don't know. I sometimes wonder if, it's, if we don't always read our Bibles very carefully. I know that I don't read mine carefully, and I almost it's good to look at the story as a whole but sometimes we look at the end result of some of these like heroes of the faith people like Abraham and Jacob and um and we go skip straight to almost the bit in Hebrews 11 where God's commending them for never wavering in unbelief or um, all of their steadfastness and we can neglect to look at what happens along the way and if we actually look through Genesis more carefully we see well hang on what was what was Hagar about and What was all this trying to short circuit the promises of God and this favoritism that Jacob shows to his wives and then to his sons and all of the problems that that causes and um and yeah we so we look at the end result disqualify ourselves say actually I'm never going to be God's never going to commend me as steadfast or um or faithful in these ways but actually when we look back they are messy we are messy God uses messy people and that's so clear and that should be a huge encouragement to us and it should also be an encouragement to us that when God retells our story sometimes he seems to have a slant on it in our favour 
And we see that again in Hebrews 11, where we just see actually he's got, he is for us, not against us. And he takes, sometimes we think of God as a God of grace only in the New Testament, but he's a God of grace in the Old Testament as well. And we see that in his grace towards Abraham, Jacob, in the way he tells their stories sometimes. That's good. Yeah. It's very, uh, very reassuring. And I suppose I'm reminded yeah. as well of David, a uh, man after God's heart. Yeah. Famous yeah. verse that we love to quote, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. We often apply that to other people or to David, but not to ourselves. Why do you think we're so much harder on ourselves uh, when it comes to applying truth like that? I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it can be a bit of a wuss out on our part, can't it? I know it, it can be for me where I think, because I can't do this perfectly, I won't do it at all. And what we see in the story of Genesis is that Jacob is imperfect, but he is continuing to keep his head up and he's continuing to journey towards the promises of God. And that's what we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to keep our head up and journey towards the promises of God. Knowing that actually, yeah, we're living in temporary dwellings, we're living in tents in our bodies, we're failing continually, but we are also journeying with God. And that we've got that keeping step with the Holy Spirit means sometimes picking yourself up out of the dirt and journeying on with him. Mm, that's really good. And one of the things that sort of concerns me at times is that in churches like ours, we create almost, a, or we play into the celebrity cult of our age, where we, right. we flock to hear particular speakers, and we see people only on a platform, yeah. and not see what goes on yeah. underneath their lives. I mean, you're married to someone. <laughs> I'm married to a senior celebrity. <laughs> yes, yeah, C pushing B. <laughs> So is that, joking aside, but being married to Andrew, who is seen by a lot of people only in a public setting, has that helped you see, oh, wait, God uses normal people to doing, I mean, it's a, I made a joke about it, but it's a big deal writing this, this book for you guys, um, The Life You've Never Expected, it's a fantastic book. Um, so, do you find it strange that you yourself are now one of those celebrity Christians? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> if you see this, I'm... I don't know, much further down the alphabet. Um, yeah, it's scary, isn't it? Because we like the idea that there's inner ring that have all got it sorted, and it's just not true. And, um, and I think there are certainly, I am inspired by leaders around me, uh, but I am also comforted by people's cracks and people's flaws, and, um, and, I, and I think that should be reassuring to all of us that we, none of us have got it together. I certainly haven't got it together. And um, Andrew hasn't got it together. And I think, <laughs> I won't expose him too much on, on camera. But, um, but yeah, I think it, we should find it reassuring. And I know it's really natural inclination for us to put people on pedestals. Um, but mm. we, we are all on this journey together and we are all making mistakes mm. along the way and attempting to pick ourselves up or to allow God to help us pick us out mm. and to, to move on. That's good. So it's the tension between Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and saying Christ died for sinners of whom I'm the worst. And yeah. I suppose in, in the life of Jacob we see someone yeah. who's ruggedly real yeah. and yet still used by God. Yeah, absolutely. He's still, yeah, he's still used by God. And it's God's grace, it's God's chosenness on him. It's not because he's earned it. It's, and it's just as the same with us. It's not because we've earned it, it's God's grace upon us. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk a little bit about Leah then, moving on. Um, Jacob marries Leah, wants to marry Rachel, but he's uh, handed the ugly sister instead. And there's that, that line in the, New in the Old Testament that says, and there was Leah, um, describing the morning after the night before yeah. Jacob wakes up with the wrong wife. 
Um, that's, a, that's an amusing, if not tragic, Bible verse. But the reality of it is probably something that a number of people can relate to. That feeling of being overlooked, overlooked yeah. and being um, given to someone, even when they didn't choose you, or being forced upon people. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who can identify strongly with Leah as being someone who's overlooked, and who thinks, oh, God hasn't got a plan for my life. He's got a plan for Rachel, and literally Rachel in this case. Um, what would you say to people about that? Yeah, I think if you go back to the story actually of another woman who was overlooked, go back to the story of Hagar in the desert and she is the only person in the Bible to, to actually ascribe a name to God rather than him revealing it to her. And she said, you are the Lord who sees me. And he's not seeing a crowd of people in the desert, it is only Hagar there. And he is, he's, uh, he zones in on her, he does see her and he sees us. Um, I think the challenge for us can be for us to care more about God seeing us than to care about the people around us seeing us mm. because I think in Leah's case particularly certainly at the beginning of the story she starts to have these baby boys what she's wanting to happen even in the name she's giving them is for Jacob to see her that's her primary concern which what Jacob's seen even with the name Reuben see a son you can imagine her mm. holding him up to Jacob's name see look now you'll love me see me because of this son and um and it's only as Leah gets to baby number four, to Judah, that she names him Judah, which means praise. And to say, I am, it's almost like she is turning her gaze from Jacob looking at her to thinking it's more important that God is looking at her. And that's so much easier said than done because it is a natural fleshly inclination every morning to wake up and to care more about the people around us, about what they think about us, and about them seeing us then we care about how God sees us. Mm, That's the heart of God. So how do you journey towards that? That's the goal then. Well, practically from your own life. I, suppose. I know we're all on a journey towards that. I'm not assuming that you're perfect in any way, but mm. how, what advice would you give to people in, in journeying towards that goal? Well, I actually think as it's, it's Mother's Day, I think motherhood sometimes is, is a great uh, place to be <laughs> tested and to go through trials about God seeing you and about caring about that more than anything else because so much of it is private you're on your own you're cleaning up Weetabix for the 365th time and there's no one else there your kids aren't impressed by it and that's um, that is really the, a fork in the road I think for us as women sometimes to go do you know what am I going to become despondent and self-pitying about the fact that this is not glamorous and that other people aren't saying it's glamorous either and my kids certainly aren't or is it a fork in the road of point really to say, I know you are seeing me, I know you are seeing me as I clean up with this, or discipline this child about the same issue. And God sees that repetition, he sees that faithfulness. Um, but we've got to set our heart upon caring about him more. Mm. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that, because it's all very well. It's going to say, love the Lord your God with all your strength, or your mind, or your heart. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. We can't do it on our own. Mm. That's good. It's interesting, the age that we live in doesn't help us. We're naturally people who long for other people's approval and we live in a social media obsessed age where you look at everyone else's lives it looks very glamorous and there's no Weetabix on Facebook <laughs> and there's no people with baby sick down their, their tops. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to people who, who do often look at in images online or the, the, the PR that people put out there on social media and feel judged or compared negatively to that? What advice would you give to people like that? Yeah, I think... First of all, I think sometimes just stepping back from social media and fasting that is really helpful. 
And I think we know, don't we, that the, the closer we get to people, I still think the friends I don't know very well have it all together. And as I get to know them better on a real level, not just on a social media level, on a face-to-face level, real friendship is when you do see the cracks, actually, when you're open and vulnerable with each other about your weaknesses, about your struggles, even texting people to pray or um, just exposing your vulnerability. And I'm saying this now, but this is actually something I really, really struggle with. I find it, my natural inclination is to go to hibernation as soon as things get difficult. And God is really challenging me at the moment on being more vulnerable with true friends around me and listening to their vulnerabilities as well. Because we're all broken. Mm. We're, we're chosen, but we're also broken. Mm. Yeah, we talked about this before, I seem to think, when, I seem to remember when um, we talked about the, the, in, the inclination in us to talk about our difficulties once we're through them and say, yeah. here's what I did. Which is what that book is And here's how I got through it. Um, it's a lot harder when you're in yeah. it to go, I'm going to have to be honest that I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you find yourself as a real discipline, I'm going to have yeah. to do this. Yeah. And I think doing it with trusted people not doing with everyone there's a pressure as well sometimes just to let it all hang out with on social media or with everybody and that's not always the right thing either Mm. and i think going to trusted christian friends who've walked through similar journeys perhaps that you're going through and texting and asking them to pray not just to talk it through but to pray because i think reflecting it back to each other has its place as well but also just saying I just need God I need something supernatural to happen in this situation yeah that's really good so it is Mother's Day talking about motherhood and in the story of Leah and Rachel as Jacob's wives you see uh, not a healthy and unhealthy amount of competition between them as mothers who can have the most and who's going to be most loved by Jacob as a result I suppose it lets me think about motherhood as being one of those things that people can use to find their identity in and feel successful because of it. I'm a, I'm a mother or someone becomes a mother, so my life is validated now, I'm worthwhile. It's a, it's a gift that many people get to enjoy, but many women, but not all of them. How would your reflections be on um, people's attitudes towards motherhood, its difficulties, how do you handle it when um, you realise you're not the perfect mum and you always hoped you would be, and those kind of reflections on motherhood. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, motherhood's a funny thing, isn't it, because we're told these two extremes sometimes. Sometimes we're told motherhood is really secondary to picking your own toenails. It is like the absolute bottom of the rung and you should be focusing your attention elsewhere. So that's one extreme. But then at the other extreme, we've got yeah, this super competitive mummyhood right, who has the most organic snack. <laughs> and um, and yeah, we've added that we should be pouring our whole lives into these, into these children and that we should love them above all else put them above our marriages, put them above our faith, and that's the best way to parent. That's another strong cultural lie as well. Because um, if we put all of our hope, all of our dreams into anything apart from an eternal, almighty God, then it's always Leah in the morning, isn't it? Mm. We're putting our hope in the dream, in Rachel, and in the morning it's always Leah. We always have have that sense of disappointment. And also I think we 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 live in a broken world and our faith should be really encouraging to us, um, really, as a, as a narrative for what's going on with our kids and as to why things are difficult. If we don't believe in that we are all completely, completely sinful at the core of us, apart from the grace of God, as we believe in him later on, then 
it's really discouraging, isn't it? If you think if you've got a kid that's kicking, screaming, my kids have done this, kicking, screaming, spitting in your face, hitting, biting, and you think, hang on, where's this all come from? I must have done something terribly wrong in my parenting for you to be doing this. Mm. That's not what we believe. We believe mm. that the heart is the seat of all wickedness, and they've been given human hearts, which means they've been given Adam and Eve hearts. Mm. And, um, and we've got to disciple them, we've got to introduce them to Jesus, but not take on the responsibility for original sin. Mm. Our kids are a work in progress. None of their sin has been dealt with. So they're going to sometimes do shocking things. That's not always going to be a reflection upon us. Sometimes that's a reflection on the way the world is. That's very, very helpful and encouraging. Sometimes it is a reflection on us, though. <laughs> and, um, and I, I know I'm, um, I'm learning how to be a dad as I go, like everyone, I suppose. And I'm aware of plenty of mistakes that I make. Yeah. Um, what do you say to people out there who had this vision of, I'm going to be a perfect mum oh, yeah. and have it all together. And then crumbs the reality is a lot less romantic yeah. than that. Um, you realise that you bring all the baggage of your past and all the way you were parented, you find yourself parenting the same way, even though you told yourself, I'm not going to do it like them. Um, what encouragement do you have to people who just feel like they're failing a lot when it comes to parenting and they take on the responsibility of how their kids are behaving and not always wrongly so? Yeah, it's so easy, isn't it, to get discouraged um, I know for for years with Zeke, it felt like we were sewing. And so, I mean, he's eight now, but I can't even, we said just yesterday, Andrew and I, that um, we, for years, thought what we were doing was completely irrelevant to his outcomes. Nothing seemed to change this like, aggressive behaviour or anxious behaviour. It felt like we weren't able to shape him at all. And it's only in the last year or two um, that we're starting to see almost like, wow, there's this harvest and something was going in and I didn't understand it. So I think trusting biblical principles like that is good, but not expecting immediate results and um, that star chart that week to completely deal with the issue of lying or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, um, sowing and reaping is a, is a great principle. But also, I think um, accepting that realistically our kids at some point in their life are going to have to forgive us. And it doesn't, you can try your absolute hardest. At some point in your life, you're going to mess up and they will need to forgive you for something. That's an impossible road not to walk. But I think, yeah, keeping, keeping close with God, keeping close with people who are actually being honest, Christian friends who are actually being honest, is a really helpful thing. And to, um, yeah, to trust those biblical principles, but wait for them as well. Mm, that's good. And you're right, our kids will need to forgive us for things that we've done wrong. As Christians, I suppose, it's, that is the, the life of a Christian is recognising we need forgiveness. Um, how does the, the gospel and the rescue of God for you give you an ongoing sense of guidance and help in the way that you're a mother? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think I could, well, see, yeah, seeing the brokenness in my own life helps make sense sometimes of the way that they respond. And, um, and knowing as well that I'm not their rescuer. Just like my parents couldn't be my rescuer either. There has to be this supernatural, there has to be this encounter with a living God. Good parenting on its own is not enough. It's got to be relationship with God, hasn't it? And it's kind of leading them or guiding them as much as we can towards there. And I'm not saying at all that we've got that all sorted at all. We're feeling in the dark for some of this stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I think so. I think 
yeah, knowing God as my personal rescuer helps me realise I am not their rescuer. I think as parents, just as humans, but I find particularly as a mum, I really love to believe this lie that I am in control. I really enjoy that lie. And I think all it needs is for me to be really, really organised. And then I can be in perfect control of our family situation. And each morning I seem to wake up believing that lie again. And each morning I've got to kill it. <laughs> because I'm not in control. I'm not in control of so many external situations. And I feel like the journey we've been on as a family this past few years, it's like almost God's had choirs of angels singing in the clouds, Rachel Wilson, you are not in control. <laughs> and uh, that's been the lesson that I'm learning. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's how the, the gospel helps us and teaches us yeah. on a daily basis, whether as a mum, as a dad, as a colleague, as a friend, as a spouse, as whatever we are, whatever situation, we're not in control, we need yeah. him. No, we need and him. I think that's a great place to leave this interview this morning, um, just remembering that it's all about Jesus as our rescuer, who's come to help us. Leah learnt it, Rachel learnt it, Jacob learnt it, and by God's grace we're learning it every day as well. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insights as well. So I appreciate that as a church family, uh, there'll be some weeks where the message will be applicable to all. Other weeks, I think it's important. I suppose particularly on the morning like this morning, we get a chance to try to look specifically um, at issues relating to some members of the community. I trust that if if a lot of the material about motherhood wasn't directly relevant to you. Some of the principles in there hopefully were. I want to just sum up and finish by pointing us to some of the character of God that we see in the story and some of the themes coming through from that interview. In Genesis 29, the first verse that I read, it said, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The Bible reveals a God who is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who are hated and despised. And then at the end of the whole shenanigans and dysfunction with the children, Rachel eventually conceives a son. And this is what the Bible says about Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. God has taken away my reproach, she said. God is a God who not just, he's not just near to the brokenhearted and the hated. He's a God who removes our shame and our guilt. The thing that you feel that humiliates you or separates you out in a negative sense from the people around you. The thing that you feel as being a badge, not of honor, but of, um, of reproach. God is the God who identifies with you and takes that away. And that's exactly what we see in the Christian message of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what Jesus did on the cross. You see, whether you're a mum or a dad or a colleague or a friend or a spouse or whatever life circumstance you find yourself in, the truth is this, that He is the God who's able to remove your shame, who's done away with your guilt, who where you were guilty before God, He's pronounced innocent, He's declared you righteous, Because that's who God is. He was like it then in Genesis. He was like it at the cross on Good Friday. It's what he was doing. And he's like it now. You see, our God is a God who knows what it's like to be shown up by people. Who knows what it's like to be hated and to be despised by people. Ours is a God who's 
If you like, humanly speaking, Jesus' life was the glorious, the Son of God, entitled to blessing and honor. My plan's going to go up and to the right, but whose life took a very different course. Because where the Son of God should have been treated with honor and respect and praise and worship, instead was treated with animosity. He was despised and rejected for us, we later learn. But nevertheless, God experiences that. He's close to you if you experience heartache on Mother's Day. He's close to you if you experience shame on Mother's Day because you don't match up to your perception of, of what it should be like to be a mum. Ours is a God who knows what it's like to be human, to live in this world. And this morning he reminds us again and offers to us again reconciliation, friendship with him, the removal of shame. And where you feel like you're perhaps in the ash heap of life, he offers again the chance to be picked up and to be seated in a position of honor. I'd love us to respond together to that God in song and in ministry as we just wait on him and receive what he has to say to us. So can I invite you to stand where you are and perhaps the band will join me. I'm going to pray and see what the Lord wants to say to us specifically. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. We exist as a church, as those who live in the wake of Easter Sunday. We're here because of what you did. That act on the cross we see as being something not just of historical interest, but as being something of personal rescue. Thank you that you extend an offer of help to us. You offer us the removal of shame. You come to us to clean us up. Where we feel like we've been spat out perhaps by life. Things haven't gone as we hoped they would be. You're the God who comes to us and offers us a new start. A fresh opportunity. And where we feel like we've apologized and said sorry for the same things over and over again. We come to you afresh and we say, please help, knowing that you're near to us. I believe God wants to bring just a level of personal peace to people who are living in uh, angst, anxiety, a constant state of uh, feeling like you're the sore thumb that sticks out in any group. God wants to bring peace to you this morning. Um, I'm reminded of Jesus calming the storm. And he speaks to the storms in your mind, in your life. It says, be still. He's the God in the storm. He's the God who's able to calm the storm. Lord Jesus, we respond to you. If you need Jesus this morning to forgive you, if you're aware of areas in your life where you just could do with some of this repair that Leah and Rachel experienced and needed. It's just as we sing... Make these words your words. Just standing here, pray. Please come. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Please now help me to live in the good of what you've done for me.